Hey, Mike, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you control. Let's, let's get her started. Okay. So good morning, everybody. So let me um, get this thing shared here a while. I think after all these weeks, I know how to operate a computer. All right, so um, let's get in. Last week, okay, it, it, this is going to be like uh, I'll have withdraw. I've enjoyed seeing everybody. On a, I've actually really looked forward to this. Um, you know, it's just it's just nice to gather with people. I think, and that's been um, you, you know good. You guys are faithful for sure. So I want to start with just a little story. I think God, um, it's amazing how you volunteer to do something like teach, and I'm blessed each week because something's going on in my life and. You know, the reading blesses me. So if some of you don't know, uh, Jen and I are in the process of building a house. So I want to tell you how clearly um, God has made this over the course of a couple of years. So uh, this started with Jen and I taking a walk on the Kahnawaga Trail and being a little bit nosy. We heard there was some land for sale. Um, so we veered off the Kahnawaga Trail. We walked over to the land and there was a little for sale sign buried in the bushes. Um, and, and if you know the Gibbs family, uh, Kristen is a Hertzler, so it was a big farm property, and they had like three acres for sale. So in typical Mike Robinson fashion, okay, I just found my notes I took. Um, on December 31st of 2018, I put my first impulsive offer in, you know. So we took this walk. I saw my, my wife's eyes light up, and my eyes went you know, to the back of my head. I wanted this land. Um, so I made an offer for 60% of the asking price. Okay. Um, so think about this. I, I wrote a, a, a proposal. I gave it to an 80 year old man for 60% of the asking value. Long and the short is over the next eight months or so, uh, every once in a while, I got this crackly call from an old guy on a phone who would give me a counter offer, okay? And I had to laugh because I just impulsively gave him an offer at 60%. At the end of the day, we ended up buying the land at about 57% of the asking value because when he finally came down to my 60%, it scared the pants off me. And I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to buy it or not. So it was God's will, obviously, that that land was to be bought. So then we were pulling out so I have the land and he just basically, I, I wrote up a contract to, you know, pay him and I gave him 3%, you know, so I just kind of said, let's pay on this land. And, you know, if I, if we don't use it, I can sell it. Okay. So we did all that. I did the closing and it was kind of a handshake thing and we're done. So then uh, fast forward six months later, eight months later, whatever it is, I got to get that date down. Um, we're backing out of the driveway and my good friend, Double L, Larry Locker there, who's on the on the meeting here, Larry had, had sold his home and in his shed, he had his for sale sign. Okay, so I said, hey, Larry, let me, let me have your for sale sign. Someday I'm gonna put it in my front yard, okay? Um, so he had his phone number on there and I was so cheap, I had to paint over his phone number in the Sharpie marker four or five times with white paint because I couldn't erase it. So I had it all set up in the garage, been sitting in there. And we're pulling out for vaca family vacation for a week. And I showed Jen and the kids the for sale sign I put in the front yard. I didn't tell them about it. Okay, so we're going to Ocean City, Maryland for the week. The for sale signs in the front yard. Okay, we drive to the beach. 
And of course, while I'm down there during the week, I, I, I probably got calls from seven or eight realtors. Okay. Um, and uh, come back. Uh, if somebody wants to see the house, of course, I don't have it ready. So I say, give me a week to clean it. So frantically for a week, I prepped the house. The first person that came through the house gave me a full price cash offer. Okay. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm building a house. I can't like move now. I'm not ready to build. She said, that's not a problem. I'll rent it to you for the next two years, up to two years. Okay. So the, the rental contract on my house took longer than the for sale. Okay. So I say all that for this reason. This week, the housing prices are ridiculous. We're, we're almost done the permit phase, ready to break ground. Okay, so we're at that point. And, and it's gonna break me financially to build a house. I'm telling you right now, it's so expensive. It, it, it almost causes me to stop breathing, okay? Um, so this week, you know, I heard all the language, you know, a two by four is double, plywood is double. This is the worst time to build a house, okay? So as I'm talking to my builder, who's a dear friend, he even made me more nervous this week and just talked about how the housing market's gonna crash, okay? And so, you know, what I did was I started to think, okay, Nehemiah consistently knew what his vision was, knew what his priorities were. And I'm like, I never knew what my priorities were for building this house. Why, why do I even wanna build a house, okay? And I wanted to sit down this morning and actually remind myself of what my priorities are, okay? So I just wanted to go through this quick and just show you how Nehemiah has clearly showed me, you know, what, what needs to happen when you're in the middle of a huge project, okay? One, you know, I, Jen and I raised our kids and I've never had anybody come to our kids' graduations. No grandparents, no aunts, no uncles. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, we, we have a great family, okay, but I want more people around more often. You know, I want a place where people are just begging to come visit. So when I build this house, you know, I, I want a place where, where people of all ages could get, gather constantly. Like we have a place now where some aunts and uncles show up every once in a while. Um, I'm even, you know, I'm thinking more of the grandparents, you know, my kids, um, I, I selfishly, my wife had grandparents in her life. I wanted the same thing for my kids. And, and I think I want to be that person. So these are the priorities that I set. And there's nowhere in here that it says anything about money. Okay. And, you know, I want to be a good steward, but I don't want to hyperventilate about money. God's going to take care of this building project. After what I've told you on how it, it all landed in my lap. Okay. It's very evident that it's God's will. So I think as we go through Nehemiah 13 and just looking at this, you know, you always have to keep your eyes on the prize, you have to, but you have to know what your priorities are. And I think so many times leaders do not establish priorities that when the chips are down, that we go back to what our priorities are to remind us of, how, of what we're supposed to be doing. You know, like don't focus on the little things, focus on the big thing and keep your priorities where they need to be. Okay, so that's kind of just my own two cents. I'm sorry, I bird walked a little bit. Okay, um, you can pray for me because, you know, again, I don't, I'm an impulsive person and an aggressive person, and I don't want to be that way because it's very clear that there's priorities for my family that God has laid in front of me. 
you know, I, I need to be focused on the prize, okay, which is building this house forevermore that everybody's going to, like, I'm, I, I think I'm going to buy a horse so that everyone will come see grandpa. Like, I'm going to do things like that. I'm going to have Christmas trees on my property. Like, I'm going to do some weird things just because I, I want people to come see me all the time. Um, you know, just my, my kids, my, my grandkids, that type of thing. Okay. Any thoughts or comments so far? Okay. So let's just, let me review real quick. Let me get rid of your face, right? That's all I'm looking at. It's like your face. Okay. I'll put you down here a little bit. Okay. So a couple of things. Last week we talked about in chapter 12, we really, I'll go down to point two. We really looked at the celebration leaders taking time, you know, to mark your moments, set apart moments. Um, don't underestimate the, the importance of, you know, just being present with God, you know, in the things you're doing. And I think we have to pause you know, we have to, to kind of reboot a little bit, but we also have to celebrate. Our people in the organization have to, um, you know, know why we've done things. And I think that's important. Um, you know, again, number four down there is a quote that stood out to me. You know, we need to allow time to reflect on what's been accomplished. You know, there's so many times as a leader that we feel the pressure to look busy. You know, like I, I can think of pastors like, I would hope that pastors give them themselves time just to read the Bible. You know, like, I worry sometimes about pastors that their to-do list overwhelms their, their, their stop time, their quiet time. Like, like, to me, I hope our pastors, um, you know, set aside three, three hours a day, you know, whatever it is, for prayer and reading. You know, and some people think that's lazy time or non-productive time. You know, and that's that's kind of the culture. I think we're, we're pressured to look busy. And that's kind of where, you know, Nehemiah has shown us that we need to take that time in that last chapter. Any takeaways from last week that you, you folks you folks came through with? Okay, let's keep rolling. You, you know, keep me quiet if you, you know, something goes, I wanna hear from people. Okay, so, um, you know, the one thing to keep in mind as we get in this chapter, I thought this was a good quote that stood out to me. You know, I, I think that um, oftentimes we do cool things, you know, in leadership, uh, but we walk away from them where we don't have an aftercare plan. Okay. And I think it's important. Obviously, this is just a, a quote to make you think a little bit, but, you know, just like a fire, we've got to make sure we, we keep the fire fed and, and stirring the fire. Okay. Uh, you know, we know that there was, we talked a lot about oaths and covenants. Okay. Well, you know, that was chapter 10, chapter 13, we're going to break them all, you know? So I think that's, what's ironic is you see sinful, uh, you know, the, the sinner comes out loud and clear here. We get to see that again in this chapter as Nehemiah finishes. So let's give a little bit of the background. So Nehemiah has, you know, gone back to the king. Okay. You know, we know that he was governor for like 12 years, okay, but um, he returned, you know, you think about in the very beginning when, you know, the, the king um, allowed him to, you know, go back to Jerusalem, okay, because of the burden that he had, and he did say that it was temporary, you know, we knew that up front, so he knew he was going to have to go back and go back into service for, um, you know, in Susa. Okay, so, you know, Nehemiah is 
back. We don't know how long he went back for. That, that's one thing I couldn't really, you know, kind of figure that part out. I'm not sure it's really ever said, um, but he goes back. So, you know, this opens up, he's, he's in Susa. Okay, so let's get right into chapter 13. Okay, on that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in hearing of all the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had had them hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were, were of foreign descent. So I spent a little bit of time, I, I, you know, again, I always see this, this term Balaam in the Bible, and I've never understood what Balaam is. Anybody, can anybody explain Balaam? You know, you guys who've gone to Christian colleges or, or pastors, anybody know what Balaam is? Yeah, Balaam was a prophet that was hired to call down a curse on Israel in the book of Numbers. He's the one that talks to the talking donkey. That's right, Mike. How could you not remember the talking donkey in, in the Bible? I mean, yeah. Shrek, well, I, I, Shrek comes from the Bible. So There you go. There you go. So, so then we often go back and refer to Balaam. And I guess I was trying to understand why Balaam gets referred to so often, you know, through like the, the New Testament. And, and I guess I was trying to understand it because it, it kind of seems like Balaam was, was, um, was honorable to some degree to the Lord initially. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm just trying to understand. I did read numbers 22 to 24 to try to understand that a little bit better. Um, but, but again, as, as we're processing through that, you know, when you look at uh, an Ammonite or a Mobite, okay, so basically, you know, as I did a little bit of research, the Ammonite and Mobite were born from the incestuous union of Lot and two of his daughters, okay, so, you know, when we look at this, you know, we're really referring to that mixed multitude was a problem, okay, so, um, you know, just getting this kicked off, you know, just talking through that just a little bit. Those were things in background I wanted to just, you know, lay out just a bit. Okay, so mixed multitude. You know, Wearsby commented on this, and I, you know, just something to consider. And, and for whatever reason, this has come up regularly in Nehemiah, and it's really caused me as a parent to consider, you know, dating for my kids and, you, you, know, um, you know, being equally yoked, that union, um, you know, that your kids are going to have. So you think about... Uh, mixed multitude, uh, unsafe people who want to belong to a fellowship of God without trusting the Lord or submitting to his will. Uh, they want blessings, but not the obligations, and their appetite is still for the things of the world. So, I, you know, I think, I think that's where we are in it as a nation. Even, even in the churches, I think, you know, again, we, we, we often think about there's somewhere I read that as I prep for this, that, you know, we think of Satan as being, you know, some, uh, 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 something we battle, you know, like this fight and this, you know, this real open argument. And I think it's kind of, kind of different. I mean, I think Satan has just gotten himself into the churches, into everything we do and is more sneaky. I don't think it's this, this huge fight that's going on. I think this, you know, when you look at mixed marriages like this, of people unequally yoked, I think that's a huge cause for disaster. I think, you know, Nehemiah is calling this out right out of the get-go, okay? Um, again, a couple of, couple of quotes that popped out to me, um, you, you know, Oswald Chambers. You know, I sent this to a couple of friends this week because it really struck me early on this week. Um, 
you, you know, that it's difficult to know where we are, you know, as we live in this 21st century, you know, getting, getting closer to, you know, the, the first quarter of the 21st century, you, you start to wonder, you know, where is the church? You know, it, it's kind of uh, blurred, it's blurred and, and blended and, you know, we just don't see it. Um, and I think that's a challenge for us as believers to be more, uh, more of a light, you know, to stand out more within this world and to really be careful about what we assimilate to uh, in this culture. Just, just something again, as we start off this chapter, I think Nehemiah will lay this foundation and I'll, I'll show you how he kind of gets into this a little bit. So the next section before this, Elijah the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store grain offerings, incense, temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil prescribed for Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, as well as contributions for the priest. So, you know, again, we're going to jump into this and we see what's happening. And if we can remember correctly, you know, uh, Tobiah, we knew was introduced early on in the book of Nehemiah, you know, it, it, you know, in relation to Sanballat um, and, and those people that were the naysayers for Nehemiah as he started building the wall. So, you know, I think the problem here lies um, you know, that we have Elijah, Elijah, and he's a traitor, okay? So one of his relatives was married to St. Ballard's daughter. And I think, you know, that what we see here is, is just that. Sometimes, you know, we believe that just because somebody's involved in a church or professes to be a Christian, that that, that just, you know, satisfies everything. And, and I think what Nehemiah found here, you know, that they were actually using, you know, this storeroom uh, inappropriately, and it led to a huge downfall, okay, which we will see that because, you know, it was prescribed for the Levites and the musicians, and what happened was because they didn't benefit from this, okay, because they were denied, okay, those people that were supposed to be servants in ministry had to go back to their land, you know, you'll see this later in the chapter, they had to go back to their land just to survive, you know, so I, I, I do think, you know, when we cut these things, it's problematic. Okay, so it doesn't take long for an enemy to capture leadership. I think that's one thing that's going to be shown here right off the, the get go. And, and we've got to be careful not to be blind and be compromised. Okay, so let's get into this even a little bit more. This was going on. Okay, I was not in Jerusalem. Okay, so this is now, you know, we're back. The first seven chapters, speak, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah speaks from first person. Okay, he's back to speaking first person. You see the eyes in here. Okay, and now he's, you know, just talking. You know, he, he was uh, back with the king. Okay, and sometime later. So, for, you know, I don't know how long that was, but they asked for his permission and came back to Jerusalem. So here he learned about uh, the evil things that are, that are going on. So we're going to see how Nehemiah reacts. So somehow he got himself back to Jerusalem to, to kind of see what's going on. I, you know, I can only imagine he probably wanted to visit and just take it all in and say, boy, I, I'm, you know, I'm excited of what we've done here. We built this wall and now it's prospering. So I'm not sure he expected to come back to something other than prosperity. 
Um, so I think here's here's the question that I would ask, you know, like at this point, Nehemiah is going to return, and I'll, I'll give you a preview that he's going to return to something that doesn't look so good. Okay, what would be your response as a leader? H how would you guys, you know, kind of get into this? Well, I mean, for me, I think the the first thing that would come to my mind would just be disappointment. I know that when I have invested in people and, you know, led them and poured into them to find out that, you know, they're not living for the Lord or they've, you know, walked a different path. It's just, it's discouraging. It's like, man, I spent all this time with you, you know, so I think disappointment would be my first thought. Absolutely. Yeah, I was on Twitter this, you know, at some point this week, and it's funny. Anybody see this this video? Okay, it, it it you know, bear with me. It's like 20 seconds, but man, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like exactly this is Nehemiah. Okay, let me make this a little bit smaller here. Okay, I had pulled it up. I thought, oh yeah, yeah, let's do this. Okay, can everybody see that video? All right, everybody good? Okay. So there's no sound, just watch it for a second. I thought this was cute. Think about it. this is little Nehemiah, right? Okay. So, you know, we, we think about this a little bit in terms of Nehemiah, you know, it's a little pun, you know, on, um, you know, the sheep the people who are lost. So what happened to this sheep? You, you know, this, this kid, I'm telling you, I wouldn't even touch the sheep. I, I, I'm not a big fan of grabbing animals. This kid pulled his belt off. He pulled the animal out of this ditch and the dumb thing went like five feet and went right back in the ditch. Okay. This is the video of Nehemiah 13. Okay. You know, Nehemiah did all that work in 52 days and, and risked his life and them dumb sheep jump right back in the ditch, okay? So I, I think that's that's kind of essentially what we're gonna see here in this chapter. And we're gonna see how Nehemiah responds. So, you know, in this video, we didn't see, see what the kid did. You know, you'd hope the kid would, you know, again, at some point I'd, I'd, like, I'd have to like belly laugh for a minute, you know, just to be like this dumb sheep. But then I would hope I would go pull it out of the ditch again, right? So you'd hope Nehemiah is going to pull, um, you know, pull the Israelites out of the ditch that they got back in after they built that wall. But what type of emotion do you think is to come when you're, you know, Matt said disappointed. Okay, we're going to see from Nehemiah. Okay, again, what's the first thing we read? He was greatly displeased. Okay, so you're right, Matt. I mean, that's exactly what happened. You should be disappointed. But then he said he threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room, okay? Now, as believers, is that to be our response? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to show you, you know, some passages here in 13 where I'm like, you know, I'm an ex-football coach, and, and there's times that I lost my mind a little bit, and, and I wasn't proud of maybe my behavior. But when I read passages like this, I'm thinking, boy, there's some Bible characters that kind of went off the deep end here a little bit. You know, Nehemiah didn't take any any baloney, okay? He, he, he was greatly displeased. He threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room, okay? So what happened was, you know, he, oh boy, 
Hold on. Got YouTube going nuts. Sorry. And all this music playing. Okay. So what happened was, obviously, he, he went to uh, throw everything away, but he gave orders to purify the rooms. Okay. Uh, I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the priorities, uh, the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So that's where I mentioned that, you know, um, the people who were supposed to be serving were not able to serve because we denied them. So I think that's kind of a mutual problem there. You know, not only were the people not providing for um, th those in ministry, but also those in ministry turned their backs on their roles and they went back to the fields because it was survival. Um, so it, they were in a bad state. Okay. So then we see what Nehemiah does. He rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil in the storerooms. I put the priest, the scribe, and the Levite, uh, and the Padiah in charge of the storerooms made Hanani, son of Zachar, the son of Mantana, the, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. So, you know, what, what happened here? Obviously, he's rebuking the officials. You know, so I think it's our responsibility as leaders. You're going to see this over and over again, that Nehemiah rebuked. We have to call people out for 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 things they're doing wrong, okay? If it's taking away, you know, from our core value, if you will. You know, if we've established as a leader that we are to make sure, like in my business, okay, I deal with parents that swear at me. I deal with parents that'll hang up on me, okay? Uh, they'll call me names. They'll, they'll put messages on Facebook that I'm terrible, okay? But if my core value is to love every parent, no matter who they are, and I keep going back to that, okay? Um, when I see one of our educators that is arguing with a parent, you know, or fighting with a parent, I have to bring them back to the core value that no matter what they bring to the table, we have to try to partner with that parent wherever they're at. So I, I think that's kind of one of my core values in education and working with families. I mean, we deal with some families that are pretty nasty, okay? You know, um, we're involved in lawsuits, Okay, we have people that make character assassinations, you know, of educators, but at the, at the core of what we do, we cannot get mad at parents because it just hurts what we do with their children if we fracture our relationship. And I think that's kind of, so, but we have to rebuke uh, people in our organizations that, that, you know, forget about, you know, what our core values are. And I think that's what Nehemiah is doing here. And here's the next thing Nehemiah does. Okay, look at verse 12, you know, I'm sorry, verse 13. What, 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 how, why does that stand out to you? When you look at what I got highlighted there in 13, why, why would that stand out? What did Nehemiah specifically do? He found trustworthy people to be responsible for, um, for to the stewardship of, of God's, God's stuff. Yeah, so he made change, right? I mean, honestly, there was someone else that was in charge of it. 
So he, he changed who's doing this because obviously other people failed. So as leaders, we cannot be afraid. It drives me crazy when we, year after year after year, I've seen leaders in education that aren't real good at what they're doing, okay? You, you ever hear that analogy, like you keep riding the horse that's dead, okay? At some time, at some point, you got to shoot the horse or you got to put the horse to rest, right? You got to get on a new horse. And I think as leaders, we have to have the courage to do just what Nehemiah did. Okay, folks, this is wrong. I'm going to rebuke you. And now guess what? We're going to do it differently, okay? You're out, you're in. You're out, you're in. And I think we are entrusted with our core values or our norms. And we, we you know, again, we have to be confident enough, you know, that when, when, when the time is, is there that, you know, you've had a lot of chances and you're just not doing the job, you got to have somebody new. And I think from a coaching mentality, for me, that was always the most difficult thing. When you had to bench a player and put a new player in, you know, have you ever benched a mother's baby? Okay. I've had some mothers that, that when I was a coach, I've had mothers that um, think that I have done harm to their children because I put them on the bench. They just weren't the best player at the position, you know, and that's a hard conversation. And, and I think, but it has to be done. You know, you can't have um, the best quarterback sitting on the bench. You've got to make the change. Even if the first quarterback, you know, is a senior, or if the first quarterback's parents are influential, you know, you've got to have the best player on the field. And that, that was always hard for me as a coach. Um, and, and honestly, it, it usually caused the most chaos. So, but Nehemiah does this here. So think about Nehemiah's toughness here. I just, I picked this out of one of the author's books I have. Um, I think it was either Packer or White. And I found it interesting. All these I statements using verbs. Think of what Nehemiah actually does through this chapter. You know, we'll go through the rest of it, but I thought this was a good place to take a pause, you know, and, and this is, some of this is previewing what's coming next, but Nehemiah didn't mess around. Let's just, let's just say it as a leader, okay? Are you able to do all this as a leader? Have you done this? Have you threw somebody out? Have you given orders? Have you rebuked, okay? Have you called them together to make a statement, okay? Have you changed people who are in charge? So as you do all these things, and I read all this, I'm thinking to myself, is this a, a passage at the beginning of a school year? I have 19 school administrators that I oversee, okay, or work with. 18, I'll use 18, okay? I got one guy that, that's my boss, okay? So, you know, I'm in charge of 17, 18 administrators. And I, I want to show them this slide and just say, you know, we, we have to be encouraging. You know, we, we have to be uplifting. But guess what? There's times we got to do all this stuff, too. You know, and if you're not doing this stuff, you're not being a leader because honestly, there are problems in organizations and you have to be able to step up and have courage. And I think Nehemiah is doing this. Any comments so far? I'll okay. just wait. I'll right. just say real quick that I don't think it's in the nature of many people to be this way just naturally. Yeah. Why leaders are the minority is that as a society, we're just non confrontational in general for the most part. 
It's an interesting statement. And you, you know, you said that days that we're non-confrontational as a society. And, and, and though we're in constant conflict in social media, we're in constant conflict in so many areas. Well, think, it, well, think, think about why social media, because it's easy. Yeah. It's easier to confront people on social media than face to face. Absolutely. So to, to this point, you know, if you're a current leader and you have ineffective people and sometimes those, those people have deep connections, you know, so it, whether it's in a church, an organization, a school district, like I, I have nine school board members that I, I work for and they're all community members. Right. And, and I work in a community that I don't live in. So all these people are related to everybody. Everybody in Lebanon is related to one another, by the way. You know, it's one of those things I, I realize that. What do you do as a leader when you have ineffective people? You know, and sometimes with deep connections. Are you prone to handle it as, as maybe Nehemiah did? Or do you, how, how do you do this? Do we, do we ignore? Do we discuss? I mean, I, I think that's a, a question as a leadership team you should constantly reflect on. Yeah, I've always found I, I've dealt with, you know, students for almost 15 years now. And for me, it's been important for me to figure out what kind of kid, what kind of person am I dealing with? I'm the kind of person that responds very well when someone is direct with me, calls me out, challenges me directly. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you're right. Thanks for that. I need to fix this, this and this. But most people aren't like that. And most people need the, you know, arm around them, you know, and kind of pushing them, walking with them, you know, through change, through development, through growth. And so it's been interesting for me to try and figure that. There was actually someone in your son's class, Mike, that I called out in eighth grade and I said, stop acting like an idiot. And he says it totally turned his life around. So that can right? work. That can yeah. work. Yeah. But it, I found it usually, and that's my style, but usually it doesn't work. And so I've learned that with some kids, you know, you got to put your arm around them, walk beside them, encourage them to that end. So I think it's trying to figure out now, obviously in Nehemiah's case, right, there's sin. There is someone who is, you know, a horrible influence. Yeah, you got to amputate, you got to get them out. So like, that's somewhat of a different situation. But yeah. you really have to figure out what's appropriate in any, in any situation you're dealing with. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah. And I think so, Matt, you really helped kind of put put some more meat around what I was thinking. I was thinking, oftentimes, we ignore a problem to the point that when we do act, we have to act in a very um, aggressive manner where we haven't we, we haven't noticed or identified and responded to a problem uh, indicators early enough that we can do it in a more gentle or gradual way, right? So it's, you know, I think about um, reviews at work, right? Where uh, the mentality I had as a manager, I don't manage people now, but when I did was I don't want it there to be any surprises, right? When it comes time for review, you know what your review is going to be because we've been talking over the last year. And so if, if there's challenges or issues that you're having, you're not surprised by anything that happens. But I think oftentimes because of that lack of wanting to stir things up, we don't have those conversations. And then we get to the point that we have to cut the arm off because we haven't acted. Uh, and I think that's, that's where 
the toughness can almost be um, not the gracious thing because we haven't we haven't been gracious enough to point those things out or or shepherd people along uh, in the middle. Great, good points. Thanks, guys. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I've so faithfully done for the house of God and His services in those days. Uh, I saw the people of Judah treading on the wine press on the Sabbath and bringing it in the grain and loading up donkeys together, wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. They were bringing this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them again about selling on that day. You know, so again, you see, you see what Nehemiah does. He, he's calling out the specific behavior now, okay? Um, and we're going to see this. And again, you see how it all starts. It starts with the rebuke. You know, and I think, again, just very clearly, you can't do that. And I think we need as believers to do that as we see it. Um, you, you know, again, sometimes it's that simple, just saying you're doing something that's not right. Okay. So then he goes on to talk about how they're continuing to sell um, on the Sabbath. Okay. So then, you know, he rebuked the nobles, okay, of Judah. And again, you know, you can even have your leadership that is living in sin as well. And I think that's probably another level that Nehemiah saw here. He's probably disappointed that the people were doing wrong, but also the leaders were doing wrong. Okay, so, so again, he says, you know, what is this wicked thing you're doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that God brought all this calamity onto us on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Okay, so again, we know why they were in the condition with the, the, the walls that were crumbled when he first got there, but now we're doing the same thing again. Okay, when the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open till the Sabbath was over. So think about this, you know, as a leader, we have to rebuke the wrong behavior Okay, but you also have to make accommodations so it doesn't happen again. Okay, so he's not just telling people not to do it. Think about your kids. How many times you tell them not to do it? Well, sometimes you actually got to make the change, right? So we tell kids, one of the biggest failures that I've had as a parent, okay, is I've told my kids not to misuse their cell phones, but I haven't ordered them to use them in a different way. Okay, for instance, I've always felt a little bit terrible because I don't have a charging station downstairs. I wish I would have done that for five kids. Like if I would have actually thought that I was going to have five kids and they were all going to have cell phones like that, that, you know, I live in the moment. Okay. So like, I really didn't think of this thing. Like I'm right now I'm paying, you know, let me, let me do my calculations, six cell phone bills. Okay. Two, three car insurances and two colleges, you know, so I'm flat broke. And I never knew this moment was going to be here where every kid had a cell phone and how they were going to be used. I wish I could have rehearsed that when they were little three-year-olds and I could have built this beautiful charging station downstairs and I would have ordered the doors to be shut, you know, at, at 10 o'clock at night with those cell phones. I didn't do it. Okay. And if I would have read DMI here, I would realize you, you can't just tell them not to do bad things on the phone. You've got to order the doors to be shut and not opened. Okay. He also stationed some of his own men at the gates. Okay. 
And then verse 20 gets into the fact that there were some merchants and sellers that actually stayed outside of the gates, okay? And what did he say? You know, in verse 21, he warns them, you know, why are you spending the night by the wall? Again, these people are going to entice in the future as Nehemiah goes away, he knows they're going to entice, you know, those believers into sin. So now he says, I'm going to arrest you if you're still staying by that wall. So think about the things that he went through beyond just rebuking, okay? You have to, you know, make change and you have to build in, you know, build in into your system, you know, uh, just precautionary measures. And I think that's what, you know, Nehemiah is showing us here. So, Mike, I think your point in terms of leadership for parents makes a lot of sense. A couple of years ago, uh, we made the precaution, Andrew's 14 now, about to be 15, but we moved him upstairs. We traded rooms. He was in the basement and we were upstairs with the, with the girls and we traded rooms with him and put him upstairs. And he said, why? And we said, because you don't need privacy. <laughs> it was like, we want you to be afraid that your sisters could walk in on you at any time. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and it, and he was like, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it was just one of these, Hey, we don't want to take anything from you, but we're protecting you by not putting you in the basement away from everybody else with a door that you can close. And we're putting you in a spot where you still have your space, but, but the, uh, your little sisters could just walk in because you know, they don't knock. So. Right. No doubt. No doubt. And I think we have to be intentional. And, and again, we're, we talk a lot about families and that's obviously a, a leadership area for all, all of us. But, but think about it in job settings. You know, I, I think we've got to put people around people. You know, like when I, when I, in our middle school, you know, our, 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 we have a team model of instruction. So you put five teachers together. You know, one teaches reading, one teaches writing, you know, one teaches math, science, social studies. So those five teachers are paired together. Do you think we look at the personalities of the five individuals and purposefully put the right people together? Absolutely. You know, if you have a strong personality, you don't put them with the weak personalities, right? I mean, you really got to make sure as you're a leader that you are being very uh, strategic about how you arrange, you know, everything you do. Okay. So again, we're going to move down through this section and in verse um, 22, you know, Nehemiah says, then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go to guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in these days, I saw the men of Judah who had married men, uh, married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. So the one thing I want to say here is, I, I, I burned through this a little bit, but when you see in verse 22, um, towards the end of that, that verse, you know, Nehemiah says, remember me for this also, my God, and show me mercy to me according to your great love. That's a prayer, right? Again, this is Nehemiah showing that in the midst of what he's doing, he's firing these prayers up. So just in this passage, I even burned past it in verse, you know, 14. Look at beginning at 14. He said, remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I've so faithfully done. He's praying. You know, verse 14, you know, verse 22, 
okay, constantly, you're going to see it in verse 29, verse 31. Nehemiah constantly fires missile prayers. He's having conversation with God. And, you know, think about this guy. It gets me fired up a little bit. Like, he is rebuking everybody. He's throwing people out. I mean, he's on fire, but he's also praying, right? So you would think that he's kind of, in my mind, I'm trying to get a visual of his emotions. And initially, I'm thinking this guy's flying off the handle, right? But he's also praying as he's flying off the handle to some degree. So, you know, again, there's a nice balance here of being um, straightforward and saying what you, you think is wrong and rebuking, but also praying at the same time. Does prayer and rebuke come together? Sure, it does. You know, and I think this is where we see it. Okay, any, any comments there? Yeah, I think we also see his motivation for why he's doing the things he's doing. He's not doing it for himself or to make himself look good. But as you see these prayers mixed throughout, we see his motive, right? It's because he wants to please and honor God. He wants to, to do what's right. And that's what's driving him to make these decisions, not just to be cruel or vindictive or to put people in charge that he wants because he likes them, right? There's that motivation behind what he's doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now he gets yeah. beyond this. Go ahead. Uh, a commentary that I read said that Nehemiah uh, uses his power for God and he, he casts out all the household stuff. Um, he didn't keep it for himself. That's perfect. Thanks, Heidi. Okay. So then we get into, you know, I found it interesting, you know, as we, you know, now we're talking about, you know, again, mixed marriages. Okay, marrying people um, who, who aren't aren't from the faith. Okay, and I found it interesting. You know, just to, it just made me stop and think about how blessed I am to have a wife and a mother that's a believer. Because if you think in this day, you know, the men obviously went out to work, and they left their children. Okay, with people who weren't equally yoked. So you think about it. Um, how quickly can a generation turn? You know, so you think about what's going on in our culture right now, okay? And when you take a, a godly family, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have personal experiences where, the, the, you know, the, the person grew up in a Christian home, was, was raised with Christian values, but then maybe married somebody who didn't, didn't believe, you know, in Jesus. And then just as quickly as possible, you saw their whole life change. Your whole family lineage can change on a dime because you think about it, like in this case, these women were home with, you know, five and 10 children. And, you know, it got so bad here that Nehemiah would, would said here in verse 24, half of their children spoke in the language of Ashdod or the language of one other than the people. So because these women, you know, who were not, who were not believers, because they were home with all the kids, the father spoke a different language from the whole family. So that's how influential that can be when, when, when you don't pay attention to these little things. And I think that's what he's calling them out here on is, you know, it's so bad that you don't even speak the same language as your kids anymore. Okay. So I, you know, I think when you read this and half the, their children spoke the language of Ashdod, the language of uh, other peoples, they did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. 
You know, this is, you know, you think about back to Ezra and Ezra was so distraught that he pulled out his own hair. Well, Nehemiah went a step further. He beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Okay. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or yourselves. Okay. This was serious because think about our culture now. We are in danger of losing Christian heritage. Okay. Nehemiah saw that. He saw it clearly and saw how quickly it can happen. And he went and rebuked them and he beat them and he pulled their hair out. Okay. I mean, if that doesn't impact you in terms of as we're watching the culture in front of our eyes and how we should respond as, as believers, I mean, I, it, it gives me pause to think, you know, maybe I'm not so aggressive after all, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe God does want us to be affirmative. You know, I, obviously I'm not going to beat somebody up and pull their hair out. Okay. But maybe I need to be affirmative, you know, in what I say and do. And, and, you know, I, Again, we want to try and keep emotion out of this. I would, as I was reading this, I'm thinking, I'm not sure how Nehemiah wasn't emotional. You know, he stopped to pray through all this, and maybe that helped him with his emotions, obviously. But as he's beating people and pulling their hair, he had to be a little bit fired up. Hey, Mike, just to be clear, you're not recommending that as a leadership strategy today to beat and pull hair, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. Okay. If that was the case, Ray, you'd probably be, you know, on everybody's hire list because we don't want to get in trouble for beating people up and pulling hair out. You just don't have it. <laughs> All right. So verse 26, was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, the king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel, but even he was led to sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you are too are doing these terrible, wicked things, being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? Okay, so again, I won't go through this. We, we know the point that's being made here. One of the sons of Jodah, son of Elijah, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sam Ballot, the Hornite, and I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties each to his own task. So now he's restoring, you know, again, there's a restoration process, right? Um, that you have to go through after you rebuke, you've got to restore. Okay. So there's a purification here, which I think that's been pulled out all through the book of Nehemiah. I also made provision for the contributions of wood at the designated times for uh, and for all the first fruits. Okay. And he ends with, remember me with favor, my God. Okay. And, and here, the, you know, just this last verse is what reminded me of building my house. Okay. Nehemiah was, was a man of vision. Okay. He gets to the very end of all this. We see this whole chapter of emotion and you know, in my mind, there's some serious action going on, but he closes it reminding all of us that he was committed to a vision, you know, and I think that that's how he finishes this book, which is pretty cool, to be honest with you. So, you know, this kind of brings a close to the whole chapter, but like for me, I want to go back through at some point and just really pull out 
you know, what, what, are, what are key priorities that you wanted to pull from the book of Nehemiah? Because so many leadership characteristics. Um, and I think, man, is it worth the, you know, 10 weeks or so to go through your leaders, uh, you know, something like this to just have conversation. Now, you know, obviously we went, we went through the scripture, but I, to me, I feel like there's a leadership trait that should be discussed out of almost every chapter in Nehemiah. So I had a good friend, you know, my, my buddy, uh, Larry, he, he, this is very interesting. I never, you know, I never used this, this app word cloud, you know, you, you put all the words in there. And, and I've seen this before where it, it, it spits out, you know, um, you know, just this, this cool design. But the one thing that, that kind of stood out to me on this when Larry shared it to me was he's been just taking simple, and maybe he can speak to this a little bit, but, you know, the more you enter certain things, the larger the words get in a word cloud. Okay. So it's very obvious when you're taking notes and doing a book study like this, if you just do this and then fire all your notes into a word cloud, you see what pops out, okay? And obviously when Larry, as he went through this every week, there's things that, you, you know, are amplified. And I think that's a cool thing. Yeah, Larry, I, think, I appreciate you sharing there. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I just, I mean, it's just a visual for me. Um, I know, Mike, you had and kind of encouraged us to, as we went through each week to just kind of pull out those leadership qualities. So that's kind of what I did with my notepad. And then as I was thinking about it last week, I just thought about my word cloud because we used one with my my teachers and uh, just threw it in there. So, yeah, no, it's really cool um, because as, as I wrote them down, yeah, the the uh, the more it was used, the more I threw it in into the formula there. And then that's just kind of how it spit it out. So, yeah, it's awesome. And I, and I think, again, you know, in terms of. Um, you know, allowing your people to take away, you know, from even a passage, you know, what, what they should, what they need in that moment and make application. And I think I'm not sure my word cloud would have looked exactly the same as Larry's. And I think that's okay, you know, because I think everybody needs something different in terms of leadership training. You know, we all have a skill set for some things and not for others. Okay, so, you know, just a closing thought and, and you know, we'll get a little bit final discussion here and, and kind of move on. But, um, you know, if you've never formalized your beliefs and behaviors, you know, I read this by Andy Stanley, you need to begin that immediately. You know, um, I, I think when you're doing anything, it's very, it's very important to go back to core values, to go back to why you're doing what you're doing. And I think if that's not written or posted, I think you forget quite quickly. You know, I, I read a stat for, for school principals that they have a new um, problem every five to seven minutes during a day, okay? So think about this, you know, when you're, when you're in a school building, you know, like our elementary schools have 500 to 600 kids, okay? So when you have 500 to 600 kids, you probably have 55 staff members at least, okay? they're getting a problem every five to seven minutes. So if you're getting that problem every five to seven minutes, how are you not living in the moment, but rather living you know, through what your core value or your vision is? And I think you, you have to formalize that. Um, the other thing, you know, again, be, be careful to tolerate things that can derail your vision. You know, I think Nehemiah is a good example that he just will not allow it. Like for me, 
I got to be careful. I cannot allow educators uh, to be obstinate with parents. Okay, now there's some parents I've had to ban from property. There's some parents I've had to ban from emailing the teacher. And that's not a bad thing. That's just protecting the teacher from them going into a place I don't want them to go because the parent is just too, um, you know, too active. I found it interesting sitting on the school board of Mount Calvary, you know, we, we have, uh, I've been in a position where we've actually asked uh, students to leave the school because their parents were oppositional with the school officials. I find that interesting. I can't do that in my world in the public sector. Like Larry, I'm sure would laugh because he gets sworn at like on a regular basis and, and we have to serve all parents. And I think you just have to know what your core value is. I mean, if you know that's what you have to do, then, then you have to do everything you can not to, you know, to instigate. And, and I think that's important. Okay. You know, the time's come, I think, where I got to stop speaking. And, you know, we got five minutes. I got 725. You know, I feel like I need a closing statement here. I don't have one, though. Okay, for the long study of Nehemiah. I'm, I'm interested to see what our next leadership study is going to be. I think I'm going to, if there's any suggestions, I would love one to get into. So I always need like, you know, whatever, 10 weeks on my own to try to figure out, you know, what the heck the book's about. Um, but I'd love to come back together at some point with another person in the Bible to, to dig into. Because I, I know people are sick of hearing me talk about Nehemiah on my job. You know, like I'd, I'd say, well, this is what I learned in Nehemiah this week. And I'm sure they're walking back in the corners like, man, I can't wait till he's done teaching that course. Um, any final thoughts or, or thinking here? Mike, I liked how you started today with uh, kind of sharing the vision of why you were building, wanted to build that house. Because um, when you think through um the whole chapter in Nehemiah, that, that vision remained at the forefront of all that he did. So, you know, I can think of where I work, we have a very clear vision that everything always is tied to. At church, same thing, very clear vision, and that's how everything's tied to. But personally, you know, as a husband, as a dad, you know, in my personal life, I'm not sure, like you said this morning, that my vision is always so clear and why do we do what we do? You know, I, I think it's it's really important to think about that. So you you caused me to think about that this morning. So appreciate I appreciate the study, Mike, and the time that you put into it. Um, it's been awesome. Good, appreciate it. And being intentional. I mean, honestly, it, you you have to. It's it's caused me to think. You know, like if you're going to be a parent, just don't go through the motions. If you're going to be a husband, just don't go through the motions. Or a wife, don't go through the motions. What what's actually important? You know. Other comments as we close. Did you know, the, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stay silent, right? I give me an opportunity go. to talk and I'll talk. Um, no, I'll say I'm very, very grateful for the study it came right at, you know, right at the right time. I'm so thankful. Um, and I don't know how to word this, but like, I think when you're, God made me kind of a cervic. Like I call myself the sandpaper in the room, you know, like I will always be the person that says the thing that nobody wants to say. And, um, and I think, I don't know if it's a woman thing or just a general like self-conscious thing, but it's always made me kind of self-conscious. Like I really wished I could be 
the Liz Lero, you know, like the outgoing, that everyone loves her, can't say anything wrong. You're like, you know, that type of personality. I really wish that I could be that way. I don't want to be the sandpaper. You know, I want to be the cuddly teddy bear everybody loves. And so going through the study just really built me up to be like, okay, you know, God just made you a vision maker. It's fine. It's okay. Like it's, it's, it's really okay to have vision and want things changed. And um, so I, I'm just grateful that you did it. And it, it really did come at the right time. Like when, and I'm not knocking the church at all. It's just like when study after study came up that did not, like, I was like, eh, you know, like, it's not, it's not for me right now at this moment. And this fun, like, and I was like, and I was kind of like, oh, I really wish they would do something like like something would come along that really is what God's putting on my heart. And then Nehemiah came, I was like, oh, that's it, man. That's it. (laughs) So, so I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for, for, and just, you know, every week and what you've said and the vision, like the vision stuff was really the top notch, like bringing everything back to prayer and bringing everything back, you know, having those priorities and it's what gets you through when the bad things happen, you know, that, that, that knock you off. So Daisy, one thing I would say is this book, Visioneering by Andy Stanley, I've read it about five times, you know, and in lots of different times, and and he has a statement. It's like my, it's one of my life statements. If you're consumed with the tension between what is and what could be, and you find yourself emotionally involved, frustrated, brokenhearted, and maybe even angry about the way things are, you know, that this is about you. You know, and I think that's, yeah. it's okay to be that way. Like for me, it drives me crazy yeah. when I see problems that don't get fixed. Oh, me too. And like that, that I, whole I, section, I, when you went on that, it's, it just, yeah. it always drives me crazy. And I'm like, yeah. why isn't anyone else driven this crazy about it? I don't get it. Like, why can't I find a friend? You know? <laughs> no, doubt, no doubt. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. Anyone else to reclose? Yeah. I just wanted to say thanks so much for all you did. I think you know, you're teaching a leadership class and what you did was impactful as a leader, like your example, you know, you, you through, went through ups and downs. You're always prepared. You're faithful to show up and uh, you had the energy and like new thoughts and you listened to us. And I think doing what you did was super impactful, you know, teaching me. So I just really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, listen. Hey, I, let's. It's seven thirty. I, you know, I, I like to be on time. I'll tell you, Upward. Upward was a great learning tool for me. You know, Larry Locker and I. I don't know if I'll tell one last story. Larry, Larry and I flew down to Virginia. Okay, and we have a buddy that's got a play. Oh, the, John Huber. You guys know John. Okay, so John flew us to Richmond. Okay, and and Larry and I went to the uh, is it the, the Deck Airport in like Lebanon somewhere. And I'll never forget, think about this. John has a, a little plane where you, you have like, I think it's a four-seater maybe, but because I'm big and tall, it was a three-seater, right? So John put Larry in the front seat and they put me in the back because they wanted to balance the plane with the heavy guy in the back, okay? So I'll never forget, Larry and I are fly out of work in Lebanon and we go over to the deck airport and the guy was on a John Deere tractor and he was mowing the runway you know, as we're like, we waved at the John Deere tractor as we were like taken off. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to die. You know, I'm afraid of heights. Okay. And, and, and like, we're doing this and I learned so much from upward. You start on time and you finish on time, you know, just 
it's amazing when God puts things in your life, but this whole flight down there, we went to a conference in Richmond, Virginia. It was one of the best learning experiences I've ever, ever had. Um, and, and it's a great story sometime. You got about, you know, we got a cup of coffee in about half an hour. Larry and I'll tell you the funniest story about us flying to Richmond, Virginia, you know, off of a, a grass strip. Um, it was a good memory. But yeah, start on time, finish on time. That's an upward bottom. And talk about a clear vision, right? Upward. Absolutely. Clear vision. So that's why it was so successful, I think. But anyway. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, like for me, they tell this story about upward. You know, the first time they ran a a soccer program or something, they they had room for 250 kids and they got 277. And, And they had to tell 27 kids they can't sign up. And the guy said, well, I thought to myself, we just told 27 kids to go to hell. We're not going to introduce them to the gospel. So yeah. we got to make it bigger. We got, we need more fields, more coaches. And I thought that's always stuck in my head. Like this guy said yeah. it. He, he said it right. Larry, I mean, I was like, Oh yeah. my gosh, he, he just said that. And, but he's right. Like we, we shut the doors on ministry to kids or we don't, you know, we don't prepare for the flock. That's what we're telling them. So, all right, I'm, I'm off on a tangent. Have a great day. Everybody see Thanks, you. Mike. Thank you.